fair amount of leeway. Well, greetings, everyone. Good morning, Steve. Merry Christmas. So just to, to remind everybody, we don't need to get in a hurry these days, so today is the 11th day of Christmas, right? Um, and so we have 11 pipers piping today. Anybody got any idea? You know, the 12 days of Christmas is an old catechesis song uh, that, that uh, was taught to, uh, to teach uh, people who are going through confirmation or catechism, uh, various aspects of the faith. And so uh, any ideas? 11 pipers piping? That's it. Way to go. Kurt gets the gold star. Da, da, da. And so, yeah, at the end of the book of Acts, um, no longer are the 12 gathered together, but it is the 11 because Judas uh, had, not the book, end of the book of Acts, uh, the end of the book of Matthew. Um, yeah, Judas had, had committed suicide, and now there was just 11. So, there you go. You should feel good about yourself today, Kurt. I did everywhere. I know you do. I don't listen to Billy. Okay. You should. I don't, I don't let it in. Well, that was free. And so back to David. Um, we uh, had just finished up uh, last time. Uh, if you can remember back that far when we, um, when David had been confronted by, uh, um, by Nathan the prophet, um, We'd gone through uh, the child uh, that had been born out of uh, David and Bathsheba's relationship, uh, dying, uh, and then we're, we're moving on from there. But, of course, there's a psalm, Psalm 51, that is uh, directly connected to this period in David's life. Uh, and so we thought we would, uh, you know, this is, this is David uh, at his best, um, in the moment of uh, conf- being confronted uh, for his sin, how do we respond? Do we point the finger and we blame other people? Or do, like, like uh, Nathan says, you are the man? Do we say, I am the man? And Psalm 51 is David's way of saying, I am the man. Let's pray together. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit 
to sustain me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're in the slog. God definitely plays the long game when it comes to our development, our choices, hopefully our sanctification, our growth towards Him. It's not a a one-and-done situation with God. As we've probably seen pretty well with David, Uh, he's had some great moments and he's had some tremendously bad moments, but he's really worked himself into a mess here with Bathsheba. And you're going to watch David do what he's talking about in the Psalms. He's going to try to make it right the best he can, and then he's going to try to walk away from it and get back to life as normal. And one of the hard lessons, but I think one of the very valuable lessons that all of this about David teaches us, is that God is really interested in changing that within us that causes these kind of things. Again, he's not going to do it quite like David says. You know, he, David prays for, give me a new heart. Well, David can pray for that, but it's, it's not going to happen. What God is going to help you do is reshape your heart. What God is going to help you do is choose something different so that your instincts begin to change. So it's this long-term partnership. You'll see David struggle with this. And I think out of David's struggle, there's a huge lesson for us. I think if we went into everybody's soul here this morning, you would know what you struggle with, right? You, you know your sin. There's probably not just one, but you, you know if you're going to go to hell, if something is going to damn you, it's, it's not a mystery to you, is it? Is it? Yeah, it's really not. Uh, if it is vague for you, you really ought to think about it and, and pray to God about it because you're probably ignoring something. But God doesn't hide things from us. And so what you're going to see him do with David is David thinks, okay, it's all over. And God's like, no, it's really not. I'm going to take what led you to this and give you another chance to overcome it. And when that falls apart, I'm going to give you another chance. And when that falls apart, I'm going to give you another chance. But the problem is the price tag for this keeps going up. More and more people suffer. So there are huge consequences uh, as we as we work these things out. But never forget that God does not give up. I mean, to the last breath that we take, He's still trying to bring that which was meant to be in us out of us. So just by the way, a quick review. Remember, David has uh, fallen in love with Bathsheba. Uh, he got Bathsheba pregnant, tried to trick her husband into covering it up, didn't work, ended up arranging for the death of Bathsheba's uh, husband, Uriah, which was one of his mercenaries. He's confronted by the prophet Nathan, and he's caught absolutely red-handed. And then in a very painful way, the child that Bathsheba and David 
uh, had conceived gets sick. <coughs> so let's look at the end of chapter 12. Uh, the child is, is died, and David is just coming to realization with this. So we'll pick up uh, verse 19. This is chapter 12, verse 19. But when David saw them whispering, and these were his doctors, he realized what had happened. Is the baby dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. Then he went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the baby was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now the baby is dead, and you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. So sort of backwards from the way that they normally did. But David did have this real faith in God, that God could, if he willed, to save the child. So he explains in 22, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he will not return to me. So there is a, a deep sense here of David. We've seen this before. He has kind of a real foundation in his relationship with God. There are some things that God can do, but he doesn't always do. But ultimately, it will be good with God. And that statement that I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me, is, is I think, far more hopeful than it initially sounds. And then look at verse 24. David confronted, comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and he slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan, the prophet, that his name should be Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord, because the Lord loved him. So uh, there's always biblical trivia here. Uh, Solomon has a name, uh, and I always have fun with this. Some things don't translate well. Um, Solomon in Hebrew is Shlomo. Isn't that great? It sounds like a guy running a, a car wash. Hey, Shlomo. <laughs> sounds so much better in English. Solomon the wise. But anyway, Shlomo. Um, playing off of the word Shalom. But he is beloved of God. And obviously this is foreshadowing for us of what is to happen. This is cold, but this is definitely part of their culture. Remember in Hebrew, what does tov mean? Good. And what do you have to be to be good? You have good grandkids. Yeah. If you're a tree that produces a tree that produces a tree, you're you're good. And so very much in their thinking, when you have children, when you have a son in particularly, when you have a grandson especially, then there is the sense that things are back the way they're supposed to be, that God is happy with you. So even though it's really cold, I think, to say, well, you lost a child, but you got a new one, there is a little bit of that going on in the Scripture, and that's just the way they thought. I don't necessarily think it's right, but it's, it's the way they thought. So from David's perspective here, all right, you know, I messed up, I messed up big. Um, we lost a child. I did what I could, but I've tried to make it right with God. And 
Now I have another child with Bathsheba, and I got to keep Bathsheba, you know, yeah, good perk. And it's all said and done. We can move on. Turn the page. Life is in the next place. And it doesn't quite work that way. So we have this little interlude. You want to? Yeah, I just want to jump in. So how many of you, is this the first time you knew Solomon had, a different, had another name? All right. So ponder that for a second. Why, do you, why did you not know that? <laughs> well, you didn't know it because he never goes by Jedediah in the rest of the story. He always goes by Solomon. Just just from what we've read here, what do you think he should have gone by? Yes. Right? And, okay, Solomon, man of peace, basically. Do you know Solomon's story? <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if, yeah, the, there, there, there are parts of Solomon's story, the front end of it, it's much, his life very much mirrors David's in a lot of ways. Uh, but boy, talk about no peace. Thousands of wives, maybe, yeah, I don't, don't even know the number, but it's a lot. All these concubines, it's just a disaster. It, the biblical writer does not is not outwardly critical of this. But it leaves it up to you to, to say, wait a second. The prophet of the Lord, Nathan, you know, a prophet, what do they do? They speak for God. Maybe we should actually name the child what God wants him named. Right? Beloved of the Lord. Um, just something to ponder. Uh, as we move move forward through the story, this is not a good move here, uh, and uh, this is the struggle that David is having. Yeah, to put a little exclamation point on that. <coughs> we, th- this is a metaphor, okay? So don't th- get legalistic on me here, but it's it's an image working in their mind. Biblically speaking, the way that you know you get into heaven is that your name is written in the book of life. Right, so once a year, Rosh Hashanah, the, uh, the the Jews go through this process where they want their name written in the book of life, and if your name is in the book of life, then you go on to eternity. The challenge is the name that's written in the book is the name that God gave you. It's not your birth name. It's and it's more than just like what's on your driver's license. It's who you were meant to be. So, for example, Jacob is born a cheater, but the name that was written for him in the book of life was Israel, the man who struggles with God. So part of what God is trying to do is help you discover what your true name is, who you really are. <coughs> now, I don't want to get you know, weird and, and <laughs> you know, discover your spiritual animal or any nonsense like that, but there really is this sense of know who I am, Know who I am with God. David, in a sense, has been learning out his name. Uh, you, like Steve said, you are getting this little dig at Solomon that he never really struggles to figure out who he is. But part of that is because David doesn't finish his work. 
So let me draw your attention to verse 26. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through this. Uh, this is back to the battle that we've had where they were besieging the Ammonites. Remember, these are the inbred hillbillies that had hired mercenaries. We'd had some of the battle there, but uh, it, it had been defeated, and it was just the cleanup mess. And so Joab has been dutifully fighting this battle, this siege. He has uh, been killing uh, Uriah for David. And so finally, when he captures the water supply, he says, hey, David, you better show up so you can take credit. And David's like, yep, you're sure right I am. I'm coming there. You've won the battle. Wait till I finally get there, and I'll take credit. And it really is like David has just gone back to work. And it's... It's not who God meant for David to be. I tried to interject when we talked about the battle with um, uh, the Arameans that David really was a gifted soldier. He was a gifted leader. He was able to lead his people into battles that they never should have won. But now he's just phoning it in. He doesn't care. He's there for the photo op. He's there to take victory. You know, he'll put the crown on his head. He'll take the captured people and put them into slave labor. But this is not the man who uh, defeated Goliath. This is not the man who defeated the Arameans. He's just, just giving it up. So God says, all right, David, we're going to turn a page here. And you're, you're going to have to deal with something. Chapter 13, where we really want to to pay some attention. Chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible that he could ever fulfill his love for her. You know, we had the question about why didn't God condemn this multiple marriage situation? And part of it was their culture. Part of it is God trying to get them out of their culture. But the scriptures are very consistent. Every time they have these multiple marriages with half-sisters and brothers, and it's, it's a disaster. And this is kind of front and center disaster here. So to, to sort of map it out, you have Absalom who is supposed to be the heir to the throne, and that he has step-siblings from another wife, Tamar and her... No, I'm wrong. Sorry. Absalom and Tamar are related. They're biological sister and brother. And then there's Amnon, who is the half-brother. And, you know, what do you put... What happens when you put all sorts of kids together and their family, but they're not related. I mean, it's, it's a mess, isn't it? <clears throat> um, <coughs> now, you know, follow the ABCs here. You have a brother looking at a sister thinking, oh my gosh, I'm in love with her. She's incredible. I got to do whatever I can. She's beautiful. She's amazing. This is like David looking at Bathsheba the wife that he was not supposed to have. Oh, I, I've, got to, I've got to have it. I've got to take it. So David's process of, I messed up. I said, I'm sorry. I washed my hands. It's over. It's coming back to visit him again in the next generation. 
sort of one of Kurt's aphorisms, if you don't deal with your sins, you condemn your kids to do it. Now think about that. That sin that you cannot resolve in your own life, you just give that to your kids as their inheritance. Whether it's this kind of behavior in families, whether it's drinking, whether, you know, fill in the blank. There are some hard things you can pass on to your kids that sure would be great if you wouldn't. So much of what's going to happen from now on would, I think, be changed or mitigated if David would sit down with his own children. Remember, he writes psalms for us. His heart is to create these incredible moments with God, but he doesn't seem to share them with his kids. What if he had sat down with Amnon and said, Son, let me tell you a story about your dad. People think I am this great king and I did all this stuff. Let me tell you about my biggest failure. Let me tell you about your brother that died in infancy because it was my fault. This son will destroy you. Coming from your father, coming from this place where I've messed up, I've got to share my story, it has incredible weight. And this is what I think God does to continue to get us through it. You know, when you've messed it up and you think you fixed it, but then you look in your child and you see that same, that same impulse, that same sin coming back. It's a whole different day. Yeah. Yeah, so just ponder for a second. Um, like in your own life, like what keeps you from telling your children when when they're when they're age appropriate? What keeps you from telling your children about the things that you have gone through that you have learned the most from? Uh, pride, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, right. I think painting a So I think pride, I think the other piece is shame. And the shame piece is, remember, what shame says to you when you're dealing with it is you don't belong. You're not worthy to be this, 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 uh, this child's parent. Anyway, you screwed up so much. And, and so just know that when you start to feel shame, that is the moment you need to push through. Adam and Eve, they felt shame in the garden. And what did they do? They hid. And so it's like coming out of the darkness and naming those broken parts of your life and how God healed you or how God is at work healing you. That is what that is how your relationships with your children just like it's, it actually has the exact opposite effect. Like, it just causes it to grow because the temptation 
for them to do the same sorts of things and to be the same sorts of people will be very real for you and for them. And so, uh, put those, it, it's what those negative emotions that we have, those, we got to turn them on their head and they can become symbols or signs for us. Okay, this is where me and God have to push through. And when you push through, a greater outcome. There is no pushing through with David. And it basically ruins his, the rest of his life. It does. And his kids. Yeah. Not that his kids are not making their own choices, but David sure could have shown, thrown him a life preserver. So let's, and this is just horrible. It's, it's so real. Uh, verse 3 so Amnon had a crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother Shammai. One day Jonadab said to Amnon, why are you so troubled? Why should the son of a king look so rejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, uh, which her name means date palm. <laughs> I don't know why they... <laughs> I guess they just like dates. Anyway, Amnon's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed. Pretend you were sick. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she feeds you. So Amnon pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see her, Amnon asked, please let Tamar come and take care of me and cook something for me to eat. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the room where he was lying down so he could, so he could watch her mix some dough when she baked some special bread for him. But when he sent the serving but when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out, Amnon told the servants, so they all left. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took it to him, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. You know what a serious crime it is to do such a thing in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please, just speak to the king about it, and he will let me marry and he will let you marry me. But Amnon would listen, wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. So, I guarantee David did not want this in the Bible. Uh, the family didn't want this in the Bible. I'll talk about more detail and more uh, just embarrassing uh, garbage than you could ever point your hand at, but I think this is what we know lust does to us. Uh, this is what sin does to us. You know, it's so uh, obsessive, it's so consuming, and then when you actually see it and you have it, it turns bitter, it, it's hateful. You can't stand what you've become. You know, his love for her, Amnon's love for Tamar really was never love. I mean, you could see it destroy her. You can see it destroy him. Now, one question that always comes up, her promise, go to my dad and he'll let me marry you, uh, is a complete lie. 
Um, they, they don't allow siblings to marry in Israel. Uh, she's trying to talk her way out of it. She's trying to do whatever she can. Um, but, you know, he rapes her. The absolute opposite of what God intended uh, for love to be. Uh, the, it's, it's just, it's pure, pure sin. Yes. So is, is the law, the Ten Commandments and all that in, in effect at this point? Yes, yes. Uh, so Moses is generations, uh, centuries before. So they, they know the law. There is no marriage between uh, sister and brother, and you cannot rape uh, a woman, period. Uh, and God seems really sensitive about this. Remember, when the Israelite army goes to war, what do they have to do that nobody else has to do? Yeah, no sex. Uh, it's the only army that we've ever known that has this rule. When you are out at war, you can't come home and have sex. As long as the war is going on, there's no raping, there's no pillaging. Everybody else did it. But God is really sensitive about this. You are not to force yourself on. So here it's, it's happening back home. Is Amnon at this point beyond... Salvation is he beyond redemption? He's not. I mean, he has done a horrible thing, and there will be a horrible price. But just like David, just like all of us, that we're in the slog, right? Life is this, this real, just mess between the horrible things we do and the great things we want to do. Those rare moments when we get it right and most of the time when we don't get it wrong. And it's just... God gets in the middle of that. He, he wants to save us in this place. That's why Jesus is so incredible. Jesus gets here in this mess and says, all right, don't ever think what you did was good. And don't ever think that there's not going to be consequences. But we can still fix this. We can still fix it for Tamar. We can still fix it for Amnon. And we'll see in a minute for Absalom, who's the brother that finds out about all this, we can still fix it. So, you know, when you look at your biggest, horrible, nastiest mistake, don't think that's the final word. It's the only final word if you want it to be the final word. Also, when you deal with your kids and they've done something that you just cannot understand, it's not the final word, unless you want it to be the final word. God still keeps grudging this out. Let me, uh, do we have a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so let's go on a little bit. Uh, No, no, Tamar cries. You know, she's been raped and now thrown out of the house. To reject me now is a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for the servants and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So in their society that so values being a virgin at the time of marriage, she is absolute damaged goods. And it's going to fall to one of her male relatives, her father, supposedly, to take care of her or to find a husband for her. But 
through no fault of her own, they have absolutely destroyed this girl. So the servant put her out. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as the custom of those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And when her face, <clears throat> and then, with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, "Is it true that Amnon has been with you?" Well, don't be so upset. Since he's your brother anyway, don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry, and Absalom never spoke to Amnon about it. He hated Amnon because of what had been done to his sister. And this is the landmine that we're going to have to work our way through for the next several chapters. Everybody is upset. David's angry. Can you imagine your sister being raped by a stepbrother? I mean, we're all Texans. What would we do? We'd just go over there and uh, <clears throat> solve that problem, right? In, in, a, in, a, in a healthy way, I think that would be better than what these, these actors will do in this, this case. But David gets very angry and does what? Nothing. David, who has faced down armies, who has faced down Goliath, who has done what no other king has ever done in Israel, doesn't talk to his kids. And you'll see this theme repeated again and again. We have these massive explosions, and David is silent. Even though David's gift is being able to write a psalm, being able to pray, being able to get into this, he doesn't do it. I think if David had sat down with Tamar and said, my daughter, you're, you're, this, you didn't do this. You're fine. I will take care of you. I will find a husband for you. You're not shameful to me. I love you. If he'd sat down with Amnon and said, you have done a horrible thing and you're going to be punished for it, but you're not, you're not done. Your old dad did this kind of stuff too. And let me tell you what happened. If he would sit down with Absalom, the brother, and says, I know that you are full of anger and, and you want to kill your brother, but we can't do that. And this is the reason. All of those conversations need to happen. Uh, part of being a man, part of being the king, part of being David is you're supposed to have them. But you know where the story goes. David says nothing, and what does Absalom do? He's going to kill his brother. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to kill him. And he does. And the sad thing is the kids use the same tactics that dad does. Remember how David always likes to flank, to come around, to use the un unexpected? David doesn't just go in, you know, beat down the front door. He's always got an angle. So do all of his kids. Where did they learn that? It's a great gift if you use it in the right way. It's a nightmare when you use it to kill your siblings. So let me stop there. What a way to start 22. Yay. <laughs> Any questions? Amnon would have been next in line for the throne, correct? Mm -hmm. So the, I think there's a little bit of that going on, too. But. All right. Well, let's pray. 
Father God, we're not excited to hear the story we heard today. We would like to imagine that such things don't happen in families. But we know, we know, we know turning on the news, we know talking to friends, that we as humans can truly be monsters. We are cockroaches, O oh Lord, that do unthinkable things, not to strangers, but to our families. Father, we pray that you forgive us collectively, but also you give us the strength individually to battle these things. We know it's not always this kind of thing, but we know all families are crazy, and all families have skeletons and mistakes that we've made. You warn us that it takes you often seven generations to remove these kinds of sins from families, not because you are slow, but because we are slow to listen. So help us to stand up today and be that generation that will be like Joseph, that will be the ender, to be the one that stops passing on these destructive behaviors from one generation to the next. Father, it is our heartfelt prayer that our kids will invent their own sins and not have inherited ours. Let them struggle with something new and not baggage that we've drug on for generations. Father God, in all things, Help us to see the long game. We know there have been times that we've been shamed to look in the mirror, and yet you've brought us to a better place. May we continue to do that until we walk with you in the best of places, that we walk with you in heaven, free of all the stuff that we would create as evil in the world. And finally, O oh Lord, give us that extra measure of strength that we can find it within ourselves to talk to our kids, talk to our family members, talk to our friends or coworkers when the time is right to share what you have done in our lives, not to make up a bunch of stuff or sound holier than thou, but be able to tell our story like David. This was my mistake. Don't make it again. Help us as we run this marathon with you to win the prize and get to the finish. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone. <coughs> well, zinc was amazing for me. I've been taking it. I've been taking it. Well. Yesterday morning I was fine. And then last night, it just, like, I went to bed feeling